Welcome back to the Data Driven Real Estate Podcast, episode 21. This week, we have Jack Miller with T360. Jack Miller is the president, and he is responsible for client relationships, development, and management at T360. If you're not familiar with that company, they do consulting work, but they also produce the Swan Poll Trends Report and the Almanac. And the Trends Report is something I look forward to every year. It's a very large report covering prop tech and all the trends happening in real estate. And that's what we covered this week on the podcast. What is PropTech? And when Gary Keller says he's spending a billion dollar on technology for his agents, what does that look like? And what exactly are they investing in uh, to sell, uh, make his clients and his agents money? And um, how are disruptors and COVID-19 changing our industry in the residential real estate space? That and much more on this week's show. All right. Hey, welcome to, uh, back to the Data Driven Real Estate Podcast, the podcast for real estate professionals dedicated to driving business using data. I'm Aaron Norris with co-host Sean O'Toole for Property Radar, and today we are very excited to have Jack Miller with T360. How you doing, Jack? I'm doing great. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me, and I really, uh, really appreciate it when you reached out and you know, knowing the domain that you guys are in. It seems uh, like a really great, really great audience uh, for all of these topics. So. I've been- I've been fanboying uh, for several years. I've been chasing you. So I've, I've been looking forward to this interview actually for a very long time. <laughs> um, I, our CMO came up, uh, he and I were chatting about the podcast and a better way to maybe start. And maybe this is an interesting place to start it. What is it that keeps you motivated in this business in real estate? What gets you excited about the data and staying active? Well, we're just, we're in an industry that is in massive change and transition and creativity and capital and spontaneity. And I've, I've been, this will be my 20th year in real estate industry. Uh, and uh, it's never been a more dynamic time in terms of um, business models, capital, the capability of the technologies we have today. I mean, we, we were, you know, 20 years ago when we were launching IDX websites and things for franchises, it was, we had to carve our own forks. You know, there was nothing that you could get off the shelf. It was, there just wasn't anything off the shelf. So we had to make everything. And now there's just so many um, great uh, tools and, and we actually have an understanding of how to use some of them fairly well. It's taken us two decades to figure out user interfaces and to make things simple. And, you know, so we're at a, we're at a time of great creativity for the industry and a lot of uh, innovative opportunities. So I think you know, any entrepreneur that's working in real estate right now, um, boy, what a playground you're stepping into. Um, it's, it's got lots, lots of things that you can do. If somebody is listening and has no, has never heard of T360, how do you describe it? Yeah, so T360 is a, we're a research and management consulting company and we focus exclusively on residential real estate brokerage industry and kind of the related industry. So we do, uh, we do uh, a banner set of research uh, every year, we publish a trends report, which is the Swanepoel Trends Reports, and this year it's in its 16th edition. Uh, this is the prior year. Uh, you can go to t3trends.com and see that. Um, what we write about in the report, we're not news, we're not media, we're analysts. And so uh, what we put in our trends report uh, is uh, what we think should be on the executive agenda of leaders in the industry. And so if you're running an organization, it doesn't matter if it's a real estate brokerage or franchise, um, you know, a big, you know, an MLS or an association, any, any of the uh, connective tissue of residential real estate brokerage industry, if you're leading an organization, um, then these are things that we, we think that you should be thinking about. And we typically take a, about a three-year view 
on what a trend is. So we look at you know, things that we think are going to impact the industry. They're probably impacting now and they're probably going to continue to have impact for another two to three years. Um, so we're not, um, we're not trying to go way out in the future because that's hard. Uh, we're trying to look at, at what are the issues that belong on your executive strategic planning you know, this for this year. And uh, we publish the report every year in December. Uh, we also do research on the industry itself. So we, um, we publish a, a compendium, which is the Real Estate Almanac. Uh, it's about a 400-page publication that goes through, you know, the top 1,000 brokerages, the, uh, all the MLSs and associations, uh, all the technology companies that serve the industry, the top 200 leaders in the industry. That's all. You can get all of that. It's on at realestatealmanac.com. We also have a, a print version as well for those that like desk reference. Uh, and we really, uh, Stefan Swanepoel, oh, yes. Uh, I was raising my hands. I like a desk reference. I mean, it's like a desk reference. Yeah, we'll get to, yeah, we can get you that. We got this one. So this one comes out in December. We ship in the first week in December. This one, uh, we ship the print versions in May. Oh, I, I have both, Jack. Yeah, I, I yeah. have December both. One, the December one's your 2021 trends report. So that's coming up right now. So it's yeah. just a couple of weeks away. Yeah. And, and, we and have a it, lot it, of investors. If people, if people want to get it for a little bit less money, we offer a pre-publication discount. So it's 30 bucks off. Go to tfreetrends.com, get a copy. So, All right. uh, yeah. We, you know, I first came across Stevan Swanepoel as an investor. Ah. And um, so you mentioned, you know, real estate brokerages. And I realize all those folks are your, your, your bread and butter clients, but we do have a lot of investor listeners too. And there is a lot of good stuff in there. Um, for you as well, especially the trends report, I think is probably a worthwhile. Was it like a hundred and some odd dollars or something? Yeah, it's usually two hundred dollars this year. It's one, I think one sixty nine if you order before December. So, okay. um, but and we do have very strong actually secondary audiences with investors that want to know what's going on in the you know in the resale industry because if you you know if you want to catch up and know what's happening in resale, this is this tells you what's going on in the resale industry. And also uh, a lot of people from mortgage and finance who are interested in what's happening in, in brokerage industry, because this is, um, you know, we, we're tracking kind of what are the conversations, what are the things that leaders are having to handle uh, in their businesses right now. Um, and I would also say product people, anybody that's building products for the industry, uh, this gets you into what, what the executive conversations are right now in the industry. I think the only one it doesn't like directly um, talk to is the commercial side, but I still think it's valuable for the commercial folks to know what's going on in residential because that ultimately impacts the commercial markets as well. So I just, I want to set it up because we have a lot of different yeah. uh, listener types and and I just want to let them know that if, uh, you know, if you're not a realtor, you still may want to listen in here as we uh, continue on and talk about trends because it does impact everybody. One of the things I was uh, Tell me why you decided to use uh, to create the almanac. I was surprised when that came out this year, and it's huge. And I think my favorite part is getting to go through all the categories of technology. I I consider myself a little bit of a tech nerd, and I was surprised with how many companies I had no idea existed. So, so honestly, both of these publications, I would say, came from Stefan, who's our founder. Uh, his desire to have better intelligence for himself and for the people that he was working with. And when he, when he moved in, he started the company 20 years ago, and we rebranded to T360 five years ago. Um, when he started the company, a, a 
core piece of it was he said there's really not great um you know intelligence about this industry and so he, he said well i'm going to make it and so he started researching and writing about the industry and i would say that's true today i mean we we study and research the industry so that we can be better advisors for our clients and and have a you know a strong body of work where it's like hey we've spent 400 500 hours talking to industry leaders to understand what's going on right now and have developed a perspective on it um, where we don't operate a brokerage we don't operate a national franchise we're not, you know, we're not in the game but we're students of it and that lets us be a fair and neutral resource for looking at what the issues are and the almanac was a similar reason um, there really wasn't, you know, when you're talking to a private equity company or, you know, a company that's maybe looking to acquire other companies, um, there really wasn't a great resource to say, well, hey, who are the biggest players in the space? Who are the companies that operate within certain regions and geographies? What are their high level market stats? You know, if you're, if you're really studying the industry strategically to make better decisions, you, you need a resource like this um, to understand it better. And so we needed it for us, but we needed it so that we could be uh, better consultants and advisors to, to our clients and, and both you know, people in the industry and people coming to the industry and asking us those kinds of questions. So a lot of the report is dedicated to prop tech and uh, I developed my list and you emailed back. And one of my questions was, you know, your journey from a hardware engineer into prop tech. And you're like, maybe we should say real estate because prop tech didn't exist. Yeah, then. yeah. PropTech's a new that's that's new lingo. I mean, that's it's it's uh you know four or five years old now. I started, I came into real estate from engineering. I'm a computer and electrical engineer. Uh, I went to go work for a national franchise based here in Austin to build their technology and was there for five years. And that's and I fell in love with this industry. So this is amazing. Good question. I mean, you started with Remax right around the, the dot actually com, right? with Kel, with Keller Williams here in Austin. Yeah, Remax up in Denver. Oh, sorry, uh, Keller Williams. But yeah. um, so you made that. Was that a was that a result of the dot com crash? And like, oh man, I got to go find another industry. You know, um, I'll say yes, yes, and no because I was a serial entrepreneur in the '90s, and I've been. I came out of college, went to go work for a startup. We had a billion dollar IPO. I made some money, not not like silly money. I made reasonable right. money for a junior person at a company that has a. It wasn't ridiculous. But then I said, hey, this is really great like these this company's had an idea went to market so i did the same thing and we promptly went out of business two years later with the dot hit but it's some of the best money i ever spent because um you know you learn as as you gentlemen know um you know being an entrepreneur teaches lessons that i don't think you can learn any other way and so uh so when uh when that happened i, I didn't have to go find a job immediately we were fine but i was very interested in uh, businesses that were that had a very high degree of sales focus and weren't you know weren't as necessarily impacted yet by technology and uh, I'd always have an interest in real I'd always have an interest in real estate and a, a friend of mine who was working with Keller Williams at franchise he was operating as their uh, interim chief technology officer while they were looking for a permanent person said hey you should come and look at what these guys are doing they're really innovating uh, this particular industry. Um, which the company I came from was innovating in another industry. So I love that concept of like, I want to be part of a company that's changing the model or the dynamic. And so that's how I came to real estate. And uh, then once I got here, I mean, this industry is so full of interesting people, interesting problems, um, you know, new business models. Uh, it's got 
it's got a lot of things for a person who gets bored easily to uh, to study and learn from. So that's that's my personal journey. Stefan, who's my partner in T360, uh, he's been an industry executive uh, for his entire career. I mean, he's been a chief executive, I think, 13 times. He's run a national, national association for South Africa. He started the MLS in South Africa. He's built multiple brokerage companies. Uh, and you'll find that's a trend. We have 20 employees now. Um, our senior consultants that work with staff, they tend, they tend to have come from significant industry experience. They've run brokerages. They've been in franchise. They've been, you know, they've, they've uh, worked for with tech companies in the industry. They've, been, they've, they've got a perspective because they've actually, you know, been in the industry and have done the job before. So that's, that's a theme I think we find with our firm. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I know at least, or I believe he at least used to do uh, some M&A work in the space as well. Is that still part of the still business? Do. Yeah, still okay. do. We're still, um, we've done, we did uh, two transactions in the last 12 months. Um, you know, one was fairly sizable one. Uh, and we currently represent probably between eight to 10 companies right now. And I think there's several of those. I mean, we expect to do, you know, a handful of transactions in the technology space annually, um, because that's a, that's just where we've been more active is in the technology space. And so it's uh, the M and A stuffs in tech, mergers and acquisitions is in technology versus in brokerage or. We've done some, like, yeah, we've done some other MLSs. <laughs> yeah, we've done some brokerage work. We've done some MLS work. We've done some merger and consolidation work in MLS. So we have um, we've we've had some significant experience in all of those categories. I just say right now the the hot space for us is technology is where we're seeing more activity right now um, on our M and A team. Okay, all right. How would you define prop tech? So I, I think prop tech broadly is the you know the application of technology into property and property related industries. So it's a pretty broad category. I mean, it's a lot of stuff in prop tech, um, and you know, we have we have uh, on the Tech 500, which is part of that almanac. It's on the website there. Uh, we identified you know hundreds and hundreds of companies, many of whom we knew, uh, and some we didn't. And we're, we're like, there's a lot of players in this space. So there's there's about you know six to seven hundred companies that serve the real estate industry in one form or another. Some of them are very small, by the way. Some of the little tiny companies. Um, and so out of those, there's probably between 250 to maybe 300 that are, um, you know, significant companies uh, that provide, you know, more than one product and serve the space uh, in residential space. You go into commercial, like some of the people that are listing it on here. Wow, there's a bunch of stuff over in commercial. There's a bunch of stuff over in mortgage. There's lots and lots and lots of, of prop tech. Uh, but we've really focused on the prop tech that serves the agent, the broker, the MLS, you know, the real estate association and all of the constituencies there. What would you say would be the top three technologies that uh, most of the people asking you to do consulting is really, what's the problem they're trying to solve? So I think based on the engagements that we have, which we do a lot of these, um, there's a lot of competitive pressure to keep up with the big boys of tech, right? So if you have you have the Zillows and the Redfins and, and to some extent the Compasses and some of these companies that are, have, have made you know, very substantial investments in technology, marketing systems, you know, consumer systems. So there's a, a, a degree of pressure to uh, compete with them. So we do a lot of work in what I refer to as like enterprise front office, where it's like 
marketing systems to keep the agent, to keep your listings, to uh, stay in front of the consumer and attract people to a company, a brand, and an agent. Uh, for the larger companies, um, for smaller companies, it's you know lead generation and marketing systems. Uh, those are the ones where we see that is a constant, a constant hot space. Um, there are there's a there's a few other areas that are interesting. I think one of your one of your questions you sent over earlier, Aaron, was like, what are some of the surprising areas? Um, and it, I'll I'll say this is both one of the top three and surprising to me. Uh, and to our team is that over the past um, two, two and a half years, there's been a, a real renaissance in uh, what I would refer to as like uh, technology staples, accounting systems, back office, um, even, even there's some work being done in form solutions right now that's quite innovative. So some of these staple technologies where you think, ah, accounting, so boring, back office, so boring, actually it's turning a little bit of hot space um, where we're seeing a lot more interest there I think mainly because A, the technology's got a lot better. There's some investments that have been made there, so it's better. But B, um, there's a real search in the broker uh, market for efficiency and for scale because we, we need to do more with less. Um, we need to be able to process more transactions at a lower cost. And so I think there's a, a, a much more focus being placed on those areas. So that's, that's another area that I'd say we're, we're doing a lot of that. And then the other is, is kind of like, what I'll call, uh, you know, specific uh, issues where a brand or company wants to be really great at something and they need to build something that gives them the competitive advantage. And I'd say we do a fair amount of that where companies come to us and say, hey, there's this thing that is really we have to be the best at. And that that's, a, that's a fun space because um, sometimes that's non-industry technology we're working with or, you know, new ideas or, you know, real, um, you know, new thinking or new thoughts. And that's a, that's a constant. We've had that one the entire, the entire last seven years of running consultancy. I think we've always had engagements like Can that. Can you give us an example of one of those? And So usually not. We don't no, usually talk about our clients. Um, no, no, but, but maybe one that's out in the wild, already long. Yeah, but I mean, there, there's, um, you know, as, as examples, like, um, people saying things like, you know, I really want, I want to, I, I want to uh, stay in touch with my clients in a way that's unique, novel, and different. Like I want to, I want to have follow-up systems that um, are, are not just the same old, same old. Like we don't want to send the same material. And like, so that's where you see uh, specialty products. I'll give you some examples out of that space, like Lolo Gifts and Loop and Tie and some of these where they're they're using a combination of data and integration tools uh, in order to provide a more um, unique client experience. Um, we've seen that too in the in the post-transaction market, which we wrote about last year in the Trends Report, where um, you know uh, agents who do a lot of business, one of the, their biggest sources of business is the people that they've done business with before. And so that's an area where we've seen a renaissance of different technologies. And so you can look at like, what um, you know, what Active Pipe does, and how they do you know follow up and incubation. You can look at um, any of the transaction concierge type companies and how they are saying, "Hey, we're we're going to stay in touch with you post transaction," uh, and having those white labels for the company. So it's like, oh, this is our this is our our specific way that we incubate that consumer uh, for further transactions or repeat referral uh, over a long period of time because. Agents are not great at that. That's hard to do without a system in place. So yeah. um, those are some examples where there's some, there was some work we did earlier and now you can look at and say, hey, that's a product. 
that's a company. That's a that's a space that it that is there where you can um, you can see how it's come into the landscape. It didn't exist that way five seven years ago. So, is it me or is is residential real estate just really terrible in general at technology? Um. So it, it's it's not a technical market. So it's a sales driven market. It's sales driven and it's people relationship driven. Uh, and our my former startup was we sold into school districts, and so our our customers were uh, people that worked for school districts, and they were usually teachers. Uh, and so I've had, I have a real fascination with that. Like that's a human who does not spend all of their day in front of a computer, right? right? But they're highly relatable. They you know you you know people like this during your life, right? And realtor the realtor industry, the agent industry. Is, is a lot of that. These are not people that want to spend their whole day in front of a computer. They're not going to figure it out on their own. Um, they, they need something that's simple. It works well. Um, and, you know, the top, top people, they'll figure out anything. It doesn't matter. But the people that, you know, the bulk of the agents, you know, they, uh, they do six to seven transactions a year and they, they appreciate technology where they don't have to go to a class every time to learn it. They can just pick it up and use it. And that's actually hard to build. It takes a lot of skill to build that kind of technology. So I th- I'd say that's my, my personal fascination with it. But I'd say as an industry, we struggle with tech. It's, it's hard. We spend, a, we spend a lot of money on it and we have a lot of things that have not been successful uh, in terms of the adoption and the use of technology. Um, it's just taken a lot longer. Um, I've got some great examples if you want some examples. Yeah. <laughs> So, so my partner, Spawn, wrote a book about transaction management systems uh, that he published back in the late 90s. And he's like, oh, this is coming. This is going to be here. And it was 15 years later before we really saw that happen, that it, it took, it, it just, we didn't have the so- software wasn't mature enough uh, for it. And we also had an agent population and a management population that just didn't, they didn't adopt software tools. That's not how they did business. They did business. Paper, pad, pencil, filing cabinet, that's what they were used to doing. And That's actually an interesting example, too, because I think that some of what gets in real estate's way in that, right, is some of the, I don't want to call them thiefdoms, but the, 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 you know, power centers or whatever. So you take something like transaction management. The California Association of Realtors has an investment in zip form develops all these forms, has an exclusive thing where now a dot loop or somebody who's a challenger, maybe who has a simpler user interface, can't get access to the forms. Without the forms, it's kind of a useless tool, right? So there's there's a lo- almost every time in real estate, there's yeah. some sort of dynamic like that. Like, oh, we've got this great idea, but we can't get the data from the MLS or, you know, there's some other... I don't want to political is probably the wrong term, but some other power yeah, issue at play. Yeah. there and, and I'd say that's, that is, that's been a theme in this industry and a lot of different forms is a great example. I mean, the listings data itself is a great example. Um, but I think that era is really coming to a close in a lot of different ways. Um, it's not completely over. I don't think it's ever going to be over, but in many, there's many examples where like, it's a lot easier to get, form licenses today. I mean, I had this, I had this conversation, by the way, I had this conversation this morning talking about form licenses and going into new states and all that. I mean, this is bread and butter for us, right? Yeah, so it right, really right. is. And, and I know, you know, like some, some of our, our industry consultants have been working in the form space for forever. So it really is. It's just, 
it's slowly, slowly gotten better and better and better. So are there five things? Absolutely. But there's less of them today than there were 10 years ago. Uh, it's, it's improved. Um, we still have a ways to go. Uh, we still have a ways to go. Yeah, the forums one is especially interesting. I mean, I've had probably two calls in the last month of like relatives, like I'm going to sell my house to my sister, but we don't really want to hire a real estate agent, but how do we do the form? <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah those it, forms aren't available to you. It, it, um, it's so interesting to see like some, I, I live in Texas and Texas actually has a very progressive, like we have one set of forms for the whole state. And if you do business in Texas, I, I can, you know, you can write a contract in Dallas. It's good in Austin. It's good in Houston. There may be some local addendums for, you know, whatever you if, need, but a lot of common. If you're an agent though, right? If you're not an agent, you don't have access yeah. to those. Yeah. But I mean, you got to solve it for the agents. Otherwise you can't even begin to solve it for the consumer. I mean, if the agents right. are operating all different stuff, it's, it's a, it's a nightmare. So, um, California has that benefit. I think Florida, you know, those are where the big associations are. And so they've invested in that. Whereas in a lot of states, it's still kind of the wild west in terms of people using their own stuff and crazy. It is. It is. And it's, it's, um, you know, again, the industry, because of the local nature of real estate, um, that is one of the persistent, it's the back, it's the, the persistent background of the industry. It's like our market is a little different. We have different local law. We have different local customs. Um, you know, in Florida, you, uh, you can sell a boat, a deed, there's a deeded boat dock. It's a documentum. Like you don't have that everywhere else. Right. So, so it is, it is a little different. Uh, so you have to solve for the local market, uh, in all instances. It's not a, not an easy problem, but it's one where technology is now getting more mature with the ability to handle big data, the ability to handle more complex you know, unstructured data sets has improved. So we're, we're, we're going to get there. It's just going to take time. Do you feel like maybe um, some of the big players coming in is really forcing a lot of the mega brands to pay attention and to grow up a little bit when it comes to technology? I, I think it's placed competitive pressure in the market. I think when you see, you know, Compass making significant investments, when you see Zillow doing, I mean, Zillow, well, there's a lot of people that will shake their fists and stamp their feet and are upset with Zillow. And I perfectly understand why. At the same time, they got us out of the dark ages that we were in, in terms of the consumer's experience with real estate uh, and the frustration that they had of not being able to get to the data easily or not have a good user experience. So they, they really, it's a, it's a gift that they gave the industry to up their game in that area, because I we've done business in parts in, in places that don't have a Zillow. And I have to tell you, the consumer experience, it's lacking sorely. And it's, I think that competitive pressure is good for the market and it's good for the consumer. Uh, but yeah, to answer your question, I do think brokers and franchises have felt that pressure and they're, I think they're feeling it as much or more today as they have for a long time. I, I love uh, Gary Keller's uh, Inman talk where he uh, told the audience about uh, him spending a billion dollars on technology for the Keller Williams brand and describing the tech-enabled agent versus the agent-enabling tech. It's one of my favorite YouTube videos of the last couple yeah. of years. Yeah. Um, for $1 billion, what are these mega brands investing in? Like, what are they focused on? Well, I, I think principally it's two areas uh, and it kind of almost is always two areas in real estate. Uh, it's either customer acquisition uh, or it's efficiency. And that those are like the broad themes you see in, in where they're choosing to make 
those investments. Uh, and then within those, then you go, okay, well, let's talk about, you know, what is their philosophy towards customer acquisition determines where they spend their dollars. Um, you know, you have, you have companies that spend massive amounts of money generating, you know, inquiries from online, you know, billions and billions of dollars have been spent there. There's been a quiet renaissance in the brokerage industry about, hey, why don't we spend money on our clients? Why don't we spend money on our stay in touch technology? Why don't we spend money on things that consumers who've used our brand before will find useful and valuable? So there's been a quiet renaissance there the past, you know, eight to 10 years. So we see that's where you get companies like MoxieWorks that have, have really invested heavily in that. That's where you see some of the companies that are building uh, technology that just makes that consumer experience of working with your agent much better, like uh, Real Scout. You know, they've invested a lot in making that whole experience of I'm shopping with an agent. Um, even HomeSnap, which, you know, now powers broker public portal has some of that um, DNA of like, let's make the process, uh, you know, the customer experience work a lot better. So, but those broadly are the two areas. Um, efficiency is what we talked about, back office, transaction management, forms, um, compliance, making it simpler, cheaper, easier uh, for the agency business, for the broker to, you know, manage the business that's happening and, and uh, understand what's going on. So those are broadly, if you look at it, you look at an EXP Realty, I mean, they, they, they had to centralize services to build this national virtual brokerage. So that meant that's where some of their investment is into that. How can we operate efficiently at scale without offices? Okay. Well, they're, they, they spent a lot of money solving that problem for themselves. Uh, well, well-timed and well-played. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well-timed for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Holy cow. Um, open door uh, IPO is coming up. Um, and it's, it's been disclosed now that there's, uh, very little money being made on these transactions. And it seems like they're going to be relying heavily on the auxiliary services. Um, how long can these companies not make money with these buy sell transactions before investors are like, we're going to pass? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. That, I don't know. That I can answer that question. I don't know if anybody really can because it, um, I think it comes down to the, the appetite of the investors that see a, you know, a market share maneuver and it's like, okay, how much market share can we go after uh, uh, to take um, before we can, you know, change our rates and, and have, and do some profit taking. So I think it's a really hard question to answer because it comes down to really the appetites of these both institutional and in some cases, singular investors that have a lot of money that they can put into that segment of the industry. Uh, I think the experiment, though, of uh, will consumers pay for convenience? I think this has been the grand experiment. It's like, will consumers pay a little bit more for convenience in the housing sector? We know they'll do it uh, for, for food delivery. Uh, we know they will do it for, you know, uh, clothing. You know, we'll know they, we know they do it. We know they do it for a lot of other things. Will they do it for a very large sale or a very large purchase? And I think the answer is yes, based on what we've seen. I think there's enough consumers. It's a, it's more than maybe the industry thought it was that will do it. Uh, and such the extent where uh, traditional brokerage industry is now responding to that by creating their own open door like programs or even partnering with some of these companies that do open door types of programs. Um, so hmm. almost there... all of us on the investor base recognize that, right? That's how we've made a, a living yeah. uh, for many years that people will, 
you know, take a discount in order to say have certain terms, leave all their junk behind or, you know, whatever. Um, there is, I, I do think, you know, I do wonder, there is a lot of unknowns in that though, and a lot of risk where the investors have traditionally demanded a, a decent, you margin. know, margin yeah. that the open doors, you know, uh, aren't leaving themselves. And uh, I think that the bigger question to me is not, is if there's consumer demand is whether or not they can really do it on as thin in margins as they're trying um, successfully to the point where it actually is a business. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's everybody's criticism of these business models, but I think what we also forget is that they can change their pricing when they need to. I mean, Redfin did. Uh, you know, Zillow makes has made adjustments the entire time. Everybody thought they were going to, oh, they're not making money. They're, that means they're going to go away. And that's actually been a bad bet. Yeah, no, no. I, I'm <laughs> you, know? Yeah. you know, so so it's not, I mean, I'm not arguing in favor of like, oh, well, their business model is perfect because that's a ridiculous argument. But the point is like, oh, they've raised, they have an enormous amount of capital. They have some pretty smart people that tend to get involved with these companies. I'm not saying they're, I mean, we have very many smart people in traditional industry too. I'm not degrading anybody's intelligence at all, but they're smart. And when the market shifts and changes, they're going to do they're going to do different things. And so I think that's where, I think that's where people get hung up is they say, well, you know, if they're going to do that forever, they're going to go broke. And that's probably right, but they're not going to do that forever. Right. They're going to, they're going to change and shift and adapt. Um, And it just makes more, this industry does not have a history where new competitors come in and, you know, destroy the old models. That's not, if you look at the history of real estate and, and Stefan and I have talked about this many times, you look at the history of real estate and you go, okay, well, you know, Remax came in in the 70s with this flat fee desk model. And actually, they copied Realty Executives to actually did it first, right? That didn't destroy the industry. But boy, people, they wouldn't let Dave Leonard be a member, member of the National Association of Realtors. They were really yeah. mad, right? And then, right. you know, you know when uh, Realogy or formerly Syndic came in and said, oh, we're going to acquire our way. We're going we're gonna to be the only company. They own more than one brain. People said, that's insane. And they did it via acquisition. That'll never work. Realogy's here today. I mean, yeah. so we can say lots of pros and cons, but the history of the industry, if you look at it closely, what it shows you is that when a new model or new offering comes into industry, it just adds another option on the shelf for consumers. And it, you know, once the operators figure out how to run it sustainably, it, it sticks around. It, it doesn't blow up the old models. It, it maybe steals some of their market share. Uh, it takes away some of the non-performers, right? Mm. But, uh, but that's what this industry, when we talk about innovation in this industry, that's the history of what it looks like. It doesn't look like game over. And that's why we're not, we're not doing one. We think, hey, there's this huge industry. There's a lot of room for people to, to, to be involved in residential. A lot of room. Aaron's done a lot of work on the buy box, you know, of what are these guys actually buying? And you see, it's a pretty small box of stuff that they're actually willing to take this risk on. And uh, so that alone, you know, not only is it just certain markets, but even within those markets, it's a certain square footage range, a certain price range, a certain number of beds and baths, you know, like they have a pretty tight formula they're following. And, you know, there's a lot of transactions in that formula, a lot of room for growth, but there's a lot left over. Yeah, there's plenty of room. There's plenty of room. So we're, we're pretty, when we work with our clients, we're pretty optimistic in terms of like, hey, this is, 
you know, if you're innovating too, you will do fine. You know, there's no, it's not a doom and gloom situation. You just need to be innovating too. And have mm-hmm. your own advantage. Change is the only constant. So Correct. Don't, don't, if you're just sitting there, you're, you might be in trouble. But if you're changing as well and moving with the times, you're going to be fine. Yeah. We interviewed uh, David Hicks with the uh, Homevestors, the We Buy Ugly Houses brand. And I, yeah. I've started saying that the iBuyers are the We Buy Easy Houses brand. Um, it, at least here, a lot of markets in Southern California, they're not rehabbing at all. You're lucky if you get new paint. And uh, it's all about speed. So it's speed and liquidity yeah. in the market. That's yeah. the innovation. So, okay. Yeah. And, and, and they're solving, and actually the iBuyers in general, I think a lot, most people think of the open door model when you say iBuyer, you know, they go, oh, well, they're going to make an offer and buy my house. But actually a lot of the innovation that I think has been very impactful with consumers on the other side, where they say, hey, we're going to, we're going to give you the money to go buy the house you want mm. while we sell your house, whether we buy it from you or we list it or whatever. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of that, that actually for that, um, you know, Freeze, freeze up consumers who might otherwise say, I'm not going to sell because I, I don't know that I can provide. I don't want to be in this situation where I'm waiting for my house to close and might not get the home I want. That actual financial tool now solves that problem for them. And that's a legitimate problem. I mean, that's a legitimate problem that locks up part of the inventory in the market. If you can unlock that inventory in the market, uh, that's, that's, that's good for everybody. That's more transactions for everybody to do. I have so, to say, I'm most... Ways that could- I'm sorry, lots of different ways that could still happen besides the offer, et cetera, right? And some sort of bridge financing terms, other, I mean, I think there's a lot of innovation that can happen in that space, but I totally agree. That's a core, a core problem, right? Especially now with inventory so tight, you may want to move, but to take that risk to sell and be homeless is is too much for most people. Yeah, I think for for many consumers, that's, this is a legitimate problem and companies like Knock and you know, these other companies are really trying to solve that, that interme- intermediate situation problem with uh, financing and, you know, Open Doors now doing that, where it's like, hey, we'll, we'll let you go, go start making offers. We'll, we'll back you, you know. Oh, okay. That's great. We couldn't do that five years ago. That's, that's more, more options on the shelf for consumers. That, as an investor, I've done those deals where I, you know, bought somebody's house, got a good, great deal, but they wanted to rent back until they had, you know, yeah. something else ready. And so, I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's clearly demand there. Yeah. I'm most excited about the the realtor brands coming out with their version. Um, Keller Williams has been threatening and said they've been testing for a while and Realogy just came out and said that they're creating their version of the iBuyer uh, partnership. Because um, I look at Open Door competing against Redfin and Zillow. I mean, Zillow, they've had a lot of the things in play for quite some time. So when Open Door comes into a market as an unknown entity and has to spend so much more on marketing when, you know, the Zestimate is just top of mind. I mean, that that's hard. That's a lot of money to spend in a market for brand mindshare. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is. Although I, I know the messaging from the broker industry, which is true, is you have, you know, 1.4 million boots on the ground that have their personal networks on average, an agent has, you know, 400 people in their contact database. And if they're supplied with the right tools, uh, they can be, they can be the market, you know, they can be the first person that is contacted about, Hey, I'm thinking about buying or selling. And that's been the traditional industry secret weapon the whole time is that those relationships that they have in their communities. Um, so that, that's, I, that's the counter. That's what, and that's Gary Keller's playbook. But by the way, that's been the playbook for, most traditional brokers forever uh, is that. Well, I hope they roll it out. 
different though for open door competing with Zillow, right? Like I would not want to be open door competing with Zillow, you know, there where everybody's on Zillow's site already, right? Open door has to go earn each one yeah, of those. That's tough. Yeah, that's a, tough competition. that's a tough competition. That's why I think open door has, has got its own, like they're, they, they, they have an approach where they're like, Hey, we're going to work more closely with the industry. We want to, we want to be part of that network, right? And they want to be uh, a solution. Um, and so, kind of yeah, have to, yeah. But it's tough for them. I mean, it's tough for anybody to go head to head with Zillow in terms of, of just consumer awareness and market share nationally. Uh, I think that's a that's a difficult uh, play in a local market. You can do a lot, you know, with a local brand. I mean, there's plenty of independent brokerages and franchise brands that I see that you know in given markets they go head to head all the time and win, and it's because they're they're not trying to win the United States market. They're focused on Houston or Dallas or. You know, and they have a person there locally, right? It's, you know, I don't think the big brands, you know, the Rilogies and the rest could do it without that local presence too, right? That person who knows that market better than Zillow's ever going to know it, that can have personal contact with the folks that Zillow can never have, right? That can do things that don't scale, like direct mail and other things that Zillow never makes sense to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I That's another, that's a fun one. People that, you know, they're like, what is with this direct mail? It's like, oh, this pencils out for that person that works that neighborhood uh, very nicely. It's something yeah. you know, we've, we've done over and over and over again with our broker clients. It's like, oh, if, you're, if you don't have a program for that, here's how you can take a, a good agent and double their business by building a really solid local market program with direct mail as a core component. So um, it's over. It's Kind of, I've loved that it's one of those things everybody writes off. They say the same thing about billboards too. Billboards gets a bad rap, but if you use billboards properly, very effective. We have several top teams that we've done work with, and I mean, I don't think that's a secret in the in some of the team part of the industry. But a lot of people look at a billboard and go, "Why would you spend money on that?" But very effective if done properly. So. Speaking of that, getting local and getting done properly, right? Let's talk about Teams because Teams has been a big story now here for a while. And it really seems like, you know, it's it's just where still things are going. And I, I don't know where you, you guys have putting out your trends report. Do you Are you still pretty bullish on Teams? Do you see Teams as being kind of a, a driver still? Yeah, we we write about Teams fairly frequently and trends within the teams. I think we had a very uh, strong chapter two years ago that really went into the structure of teams and like the different kinds of teams. Because people say team, but that could be, you know, a mom and pop team. That could be yeah. four people who just kind of cooperatively use an admin. It could be what we refer to as a high performance team, which has roles and, you know, there's a there's a lead generation program or there's, you know, that so, so, but I, and this year we were writing about, um, we had a chapter on the 2021 report coming out uh, about the lead generation oriented business opportunities that are being exploited really heavily by teams. Teams have really made tremendous advantage of lead generation more effectively because they're able to establish standard practices and accountability for what happens with leads. And so we've got a whole chapter going into what that looks like, whether you're a team or a brokerage. So, um, they they uh, they have grown in uh, market share uh, every year for years. Um, they they have grown consistently faster than the top producers in the industry. Teams are gaining uh, more uh, transaction count per person on the team and sales volume per person on the team. That's been consistent, and it's because 
they're really capitalizing on that efficiency that you get by, you know, these high performance teams by having people in roles that can just focus on being great at one job. Uh, and that, that is the, that's what they're capitalizing on. We're seeing some of that being applied into the brokerage space. It's always had some application there. And there's more of that that, uh, that we see in some of the, you know, new model entrants and companies that are like a Hauser that is running basically a big team model. You've seen some of the big teams turn into brokerages like Ron Spain. Um, and what I will tell you is there, uh, if you're running a traditional brokerage and you look at the performance of teams and you look at your net profit percentage and you look at their net profit percentage, you want their net profit percentage. <laughs> like it is, it's astonishing. I mean, it's three, four, five X what you can expect in a traditional brokerage. And, and, and lots of people say, Oh, can't do it. Not, you know, there's lots of naysayers, but I, we look at these P and L's, we're looking at these performance numbers. It's very impressive. Um, and, and now I will say the challenge is talent. The challenge is having the right operators and hiring and talent, getting the right people in place. If you can do that, uh, it is very, you, know, you have to invest on the front end of the team. You have to build the team. You have to invest in the marketing. You have to do the lead generation. You have to invest in the brand. You have to do those things. But if you do that, the return is um, very attractive, very attractive. Um, so we, we're still, I think our company still believes Teams is a very viable, growing model. will continue to be so. Um, there's some, you know, very talented entrepreneurs running teams in this country. And, um, you know, it, it, it's a compelling uh, model from a profitability perspective uh, in, in our industry. Is there a particular structure there? You I mean, you talked about high performance teams, but is there a particular structure or kind of org chart or et cetera that you see that's outperforming others? Uh, the, the ones that, that we've observed that tend to be high performance in terms of net, you know, net profitability do really well, uh, tend to as quickly as possible separate out the non-dollar productive activities from the dollar productive ones. So they'll focus the, the set of licensed agents who are really meeting with clients, signing contracts, showing buyers who are really engaged in the activity of selling real estate. And then the paperwork, the transaction details, the listing marketing, the you know all of that is being managed by staff members um, who can you know do that for twenty five to thirty dollars an hour depending on your market. So that is the that is the consistent theme is that whenever you can take a, a, a an agent who is dollar productive when they're working with clients and give more of that time back to them to do that dollar productive activity, um, that's that's what that's that's a big element. The other element is um, is team or in the brokerage context, company controlled uh, business where the, the the team, the company is generating the business. They are investing in the lead generation efforts, in the brand efforts, in the things that result in the consumer doing the outreach. And that's another like that's another consistent uh, profit you know profit component because a business that is given to an agent. You can take a referral fee or an advantage split or whatever it is. Um, and those, you know, so if you have specialization and you have the, the, the capacity to generate a high volume of company controlled business, um, that, that's, those, are the, those are the pieces of the formula that are probably most important. We've got a pretty good description of that in the chapter that we wrote this year, um, mainly because we, wanted, we have clients that are trying to do this. And I, I wanted to be able to send them and say, here's a chapter that tells you how. And there's some people in it, in the chapter that talks, they talk about their team and their operations, how they set it up and 
you know, there's some real lessons to be learned from that, how they built their brand and how they invested. Like that's, that's really good as an entrepreneur to have a map to follow yeah. and say, okay, I can see how to do this. And now I can you know, learn from that. I don't have to do it the hard way. So um, trial. I'm a big believer in that. Even if you want to do something totally new, right? Like if you want to make history, like it, it doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. And so if you're not, if you're not learning and paying attention to what others did that was successful, you know, you're not going to have much chance. Yeah, we, 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 have, we have that with our clients. Do you want to learn this the easy way or the hard way? Because <laughs> the, the easy way, it comes, by the way, it comes with a price tag. You have to usually pay up front, right? right? You have to pay it up front, but it's the easy way. Whereas the hard way comes with a bigger price tag and usually a lot of your time that you pay out over a long period of time. And you may or may not get the results. I mean, that's right. the problem with that one. And you're going to be black and blue at the end, regardless. And you're going to be black and blue, and you're going to go, I don't know if that was such a good idea. So <laughs> the easy, we tell people, I know there's a price tag involved, but take the easy way. You'll feel a lot better about it. You'll get the results quicker. You, we know you'll get the results. You may not get the results another way. So that's uh, that's that's what knowledge is. That's what knowledge is. That's part. Of, that's why we do consulting, is for that. Is to help people. Like let's let's give you the industry knowledge that we have and have developed over. You know two decades of research by my partner in the last seven years of building this into a, a consulting team so that you don't, so people don't have to go do that on their own. It's very expensive to do it on their own. I always like being a consultant's most recent customer because they're not using my learnings for their next customer. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think that's true. I think the industry has a, has a, has a difficult history with consultants because a lot of people that were bad at their jobs, went and started doing consulting. And it's very different when you have, I don't think we've had a professional management consulting firm like ours. And I, I can say that there's some other great consultants in the space, by the way, I'm not denigrating any of our yeah, other yeah. peers, but uh, I don't, I think it's, it's, it's not, we haven't had one like the way we're set up. We're integrated and we can do everything from help you start the company to help you grow it, to help you uh, evaluate it, to help you, you know, acquire other companies or help you sell your company. Like there's a full search, help you pick the technology for help all of that. So that's been not really an offer in our space. Uh, and so that's, that's what's different from people that have been in practice from people, you know, I've run brokerages, our Dean has control of or brokerage consulting. He's, he's had 10,000, you know, thousands of people work for. Him. So you know, it's, it's just very different when you're working with operators. Um, yeah. I think the investor space, that's true too. Like you want to work with an investor that's done, like this is not their third or fourth or fifth flip. It's their, you know, 50th. That's a different operator. It's my, yeah, it's my number one piece of advice for somebody coming, an investor coming in is like find a mentor that's already done it and go work with them. And, but, you know, agree up front of when you're going to like break off and do your own thing. So there isn't hard or weird feelings, but you know, there's no better way. That's how I learned the the business after being, you know, like you as in tech through 2000 and then, you know, made this side uh, direction off into uh, real estate and, uh, you know, but that that's definitely the easier way, right? To work with somebody who's done it, been there. Absolutely. Save yourself a lot of time and asset uh, and money in many cases. We, we interviewed a climber. We interviewed an independent broker um, uh, that had built, she built a very impressive business. And the interview, I said, how, how much did you spend building this business? And she was like, oh, I spent a quarter of a million dollars making mistakes in the first two years. <laughs> it's like, wow. It's a big but she was very upfront about it. She's like, yeah, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't really have any, I didn't have anybody that was advising me. It was a quarter of a million dollars. And, you know, so and that's, 
that that is and and sometimes you don't have a choice if there's not a good if you don't have somebody a consulting firm you trust or a mentor or things like that sometimes you do just have to pay the price the hard way but boy avoid it if you can yeah how how big a firm was she uh that is uh, a company out in california it's about a 150 agent firm that was yeah. uh, took over she took over an older company that was independent brand in the east bay uh vanessa bergmark uh, Red Oak yeah. Realty, and she uh, uh, had a partner, and they uh, the Red Oak brand. They acquired the Red yeah. Oak brand and kind of rebuilt it. But um, but yeah, she was one of our. She was in our. Uh, we had her as a, a advisor in our broker mentor program. Um, yeah. We've had, we had different people, different people that have been there, done that, or you know, built something in our industry, come and act as advisors for our broker development program. So. Impressive. All right. Good stuff. We've, uh, we've seen Amazon sort of touch around the outsides of real estate with the turnkey program that magically disappeared this year with Realogy. Um, there's rumors that Google is looking to get inside of real estate somehow. Is there anybody on the peripheral, Microsoft, IBM, that we should know about now? <laughs> uh, I mean, if, if there is, they're not talking to us. And if they were talking to us, we would have signed a pile of non-disclosure documents. So, <laughs> so I can't, you know... <laughs> Uh, you know, no, no comment. I guess <laughs> I, I, I honestly tell you, I don't know. I'm unaware of any of that. But, um, but I, I, we I, all I thought, think, yeah. I, I think this is a hard industry to to make a thing go in uh, at, to come in as an outsider without a lot of help. Uh, I, I believe, and I think we've got evidence to prove that. Um, it's just hard, hard work because it is a service industry. It's a, there's a person who has to work with a client. And that's different from, you know, something where it's like, oh, I can, I can write an app that this replaced a person's entire job. Uh, not say that parts of real estate can't be replaced with apps. Absolutely. But, uh, but I think it's still at the end of service industry and a unique product. Every house is a little different. It's not the same. So that, that is, you know, anything that's commodified we've seen can be technologically, you know, accelerated. But houses, it's tricky. People, very tricky. We're all so individual. I thought it, Realogy's move was very funny because they dropped Amazon's turnkey and then they signed a partnership with the AARP. I'm like, those are on off of the ends of the spectrum. That's hilarious. <laughs> when you're that big, I think you do a lot of different things. You know, you're Good like, them. Yeah. you know, lots of, you know, different, different uh, angles and approaches to the consumer market because, yeah, those are likely different customers. I'm, We're getting close to the end. I'm just wondering if we should, uh, like, if there's a big, like, 2021 is coming. You're working on your trends report. Obviously, you don't want to give it away. It's uh, it's available for sale and should get it now if you want the discount. Um, yeah. But but uh, leave us with something, you know, some uh, tidbit for 2021 of, uh, you know, what all these folks should be thinking about or, you know. You know, out of your report, and not, you know, don't give away the big surprise in your report, but just something. I, you know, I, I don't know that you had this as one of the questions earlier about, you know, like what are the big surprises coming with trends? Yeah. And what I can, what I can tell you about trends, and this is I get straight from Stefan. He he has done more trends work than anybody in the industry. Is he will tell you that it's not hard to spot the trends to say, oh, you know, we see teams like people have been talking about teams forever. So it's usually not hard to see the, the trend coming and say, hey, we're, you know, 
hey, we're looking at this stuff that happened in uh, New York out on Long Island and some of the, com- the, the subpoena hearings with the state senators there. It does not take it does not take brilliance to go, hmm, there might be some regulation related to uh, diversity and housing and how people are treated. There might be some regulation coming out of that. So that doesn't take brilliance. Um, it takes just smarts, just plain old smarts, observing the truth. But the hard part is timing, is how soon are these things going to happen? And right. I think transaction management. <laughs> transaction management is exactly the example. You can go like, hey, digital transaction management makes everything better. 15 years later, because you just, it's hard to tell. But what I, what we can tell you that I would say, again, it's, it's a, it's a surprise, but only if you're not been watching, right? Is um, how quickly the pandemic reconfigured our industry for digital adoption. Like that has been an enormous change that I don't think is fully, it, it, I know leaders have talked about, we've talked about it, we've had industry leaders on our fireside Friday chats that we do every Friday, and we've talked about that. But I think the impact, I think there's a tail to that, where it's like we have primed a whole group of people to learn on Zoom meetings, to show up and communicate digitally, to show houses with, you know, with without the client there. Like, there's a lot of people that do a fair amount of business that had to figure all that stuff out this year. And, uh, and it drove adoption of technology. It accelerated that technology adoption, which, by the way, was already speeding up. I mean, we were already going through a speed up. Mm-hmm. So it's driven that. It's driven the trends in office space. People are saying, do I need the same office space I had before? And the answer is no for a lot of them. So I think the big takeaway, and you'll see that in the report, we write about it, is how the, the COVID pandemic has um, really pushed the speed at which these kinds of changes are being accepted into our industry and not just ours, it's in a bunch of other industries as well. But real estate very specifically had a lot of things that drove it faster uh, because of the way that we do business and because of our business model. So um, I think you'll see that. Uh, I think you'll see that more in 2021. We've we've definitely seen that at property radar, right? Because all these folks that are used to going to, you know, whatever it is, uh, Kiwanis or, I don't know, church or whatever, yeah. and meeting new clients, and then they can't anymore, yeah. right? You know, to use public records to find potential clients and find their phone numbers and, and the rest, right, has been, you know, kind of necessary for a lot of a lot of folks that lost that normal place where they make those relationships. So, we've definitely been a, a benefactor, and I'm sure lots of other tech companies have as well. Yeah, there's going to be a tail on that where we, we all had to learn new skills this year. The, the realtors, you know, just as much as anybody. And that's going to change the way the business operates in, uh, in, in I think, a lot of different ways. And we do, we do write about that in the trips report. Um, but I also think it's one of those things where if you look at it, you can start drawing some conclusions and say, okay, yeah, that's going to, you know, that thing over there, that's going to be different <laughs> because of this uh, persistently. Yeah. So, but um, for those interested, uh, you know, we we write this report every year. It's at t3trends.com. If you pre-order a copy, it's $30 off up until December, our ship date in December. We ship it out first week in December. Um, and, you know, we're going to be doing, we'll do some webinars. We're going to do some overviews of it as well. We typically do some content around uh, the release. So we'll, we'll do some additional materials uh, and be hosting some guests and talking about a lot of things related to trends because um, that's, that's, that's the space. That's where we are. And uh, the when, does, 
And is the Almanac a yearly thing too? And is the Almanac, that- is, yeah, that, that comes out every year. Um, we publish digital versions of the list uh, starting in January. So the first list we'll release is the rankings of real estate industry leaders, which is out in January. Uh, and then we work our way through, uh, we do enterprises, the very largest companies, uh, and then we do uh, MLSs and associations, and we do the top 1,000 brokerages. That's the last list we release digitally. And then with the print publication, uh, we ship those in May. Uh, and that's also available, um, available for pre-order if people want a print copy uh, of that as well. So the Almanac also includes your top 1,000 agents and your top brokerages. and yes, all, it, it, it is all, all of our lists, all of our lists in one place. And then there's a digital, there's a digital, you can go online, go to realestatealmanac.com. It's there's, it's searchable. It's all there. The, the publication has some additional analysis and charts and graphs and some kind of cool stuff. It's only for the print publication. But the, uh, the actual raw data in terms of searchability, you can go there and, and learn a lot. I mean, especially if you are, uh, adjacent to real estate industry, and you want to know, like, hey, who are the top leaders in this real estate? What are the top, you know, Keller Williams franchises, or who are the who are the biggest independents? Like, it has all that. That's all online. You can go look for that. And the the the, the book the book itself also has some, you know, year over year trends and who are big movers and changers and who's you know who's who's going up, who's going down. That that's uh, all in the report. Uh, so there's additional material there in the print, which is uh, very interesting if you are an industry trends person. I am. Mine's already ordered. I will make sure to um, link it in all the places that we publish this. And I just really appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, I was delightful. This is my favorite topic to talk about for hours on end. So (laughs) you gave me me a legitimate excuse to talk about real estate more. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. All right. Great. Thanks, gentlemen. I appreciate appreciate you guys having me on. Y'all have a great day. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Data-Driven Real Estate Podcast. You can find show notes and links to some of the resources mentioned in the show at datadrivenrealestate.com. Click that, join the community, and you'll be forwarded to the Property Radar community where you can ask questions about the current show and even see upcoming guests and ask questions there. We'd love to engage with you in the community, so check it out. Please don't forget to like, favorite, subscribe, and share on your favorite platform where you're listening to the show. It helps us out a great deal. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.